one of the benefits of constantly reading through Scripture in a systematic way is that you will cover everything that God wants us to hear. And as we do that this morning, we are going to uh, approach a, a subject that uh, we all need to be reminded of again today uh, in, in its different levels. So we're going to continue our journey to discover more about who our Savior is, what He has to say, how He rebukes us, how He encourages us, how He tries to preserve us. And so we're going to look at uh, the end of Mark chapter 9 this morning, uh, looking at verses 42 through 50. We read these words. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go into hell. To the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye then with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. May God grant us wisdom as we consider these words today. Sometimes uh, one of the, the best ways to be able to get your point across is to use uh, very graphic expressions. Uh, it may not sit so well with us to always hear that, but that's, that's been a, a very effective way of, of explaining how serious, how important something is for us to consider. And this, this passage is, is one of those. It's, it's, it's a difficult one in some ways to understand, especially when we get to those last verses, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that. But the language here is, is very graphic, but it's, it's there to make a specific point. It's there to make sure that we don't miss how serious this is. And Jesus will bring up that topic of hell now. One that is not so common or popular anymore in our world. To think that there is a God who would uh, send somebody to an eternal hell where fires don't go out. But again, as we make our way through Scripture, we will uh, encounter these things and deal with them in a way to understand them and to be then receptive to what's being taught to us that it may also transform us. So in this passage here, uh, Jesus makes it very clear 
what we need to do is make sure that nothing gets in the way. Removing the obstacles of anybody, uh, and Jesus calls them these little ones, removing the obstacles from them so that there's nothing that would cause them to sin. And now you and I have probably been guilty, well, I'll just speak for all of us. You and I have been guilty of that. But it's not just the idea of, of, of causing somebody to um, make a mistake, uh, to uh, slip up a little bit. If anyone would cause somebody like these little ones to fall away is the idea. Some of the translations would use that term. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall away, to, to be taken off the path that they're on and be turned into a different direction. This is not just, I made a mistake the other day because so-and-so. It has a greater potential than that. It it's, has the potential of, of causing a, a, a tripping hazard that would knock them completely off course. Imagine um, if you are uh, blind, and maybe some of you have had uh, family members or friends, people that you know that have been blind, either whether it's from birth or um, maybe became blind or are going blind. And for those people, it's, it's difficult to move around. You and I get to do that, and we still stumble at times. We still trip over things, even though we have eyes to see them. But imagine being uh, someone that's blind and being in an environment. Uh, we have a, a future grandson who is going blind. And whenever he changes environments, he needs to be able to be familiar with that environment so that he doesn't trip over something or, or go past where he should and, and fall down a set of stairs. He needs to make sure that he has an understanding of where everything is placed. Anybody that has... Uh, vision issues, needs to make sure that they have a good understanding of where things are at so they are familiar with it and they can still keep moving around. Now imagine being in that setting as that blind person and somebody decides to uh, leave things out knowing that it's in your normal path of travel and then they stumble and fall over it. It's that kind of idea, but to a very extreme that Jesus is talking about here, don't do anything that would cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble as they're trying to get their, their footing on the path for you to leave something out for them that would cause them to stumble would be a great offense. The, the idea here is not, um, not little children. Uh, when, when Jesus is talking about these little ones, he had, just, he had just before taken a little child into his arms and said, whoever receives a child such as this in my name. So he, he, used a, he used a small child, but he's not talking about the young people. He's not just specifically talking about an age. Uh, it is not an age-related kind of um, condition or, or a type of person that Jesus is talking about. These little ones... These, these uh, people that are new to the faith is what uh, Jesus has in mind. John, his disciple, the one that Jesus loved, uh, said in 1 John 2, My little children, 
he says. He uses that, that same kind of language. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That same, that same idea that Jesus is trying to get at, John picked up on and brought it out in his first epistle. He's, he's writing to people that are young in the faith, growing in their faith, not, not fully established in the path. Uh, you and I, the longer we are on the path, even when somebody puts something out there, it's still an obstacle for us. But we, as mature Christians, grown up in our faith, we ought to know to watch out for those obstacles. We should make sure that those things don't trip us up. We know the, the danger of those things, but the one that is little in their faith yet, they don't understand the things that are there to knock them off course yet. Paul talked about that at times when they were dealing with new believers. It's just something that we need to be aware of, that there's something about what we do that will have an impact on people that are watching us. And again, brothers and sisters, people are watching us all the time. With all the things that are going on in the world right now, when it happens uh, in a Christian setting, all eyes are focused on that to see how people of God will respond. And when we respond poorly, we set a stumbling block on the road for those that are trying to find their footing yet. We have a great responsibility to make sure new believers stay on the path. Paul said to the Church in Ephesus, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't cause something for your children to get so upset about that they would lose this idea of a heavenly father, but, but discipline them, train them, instruct them, keep them from tripping and stumbling. Paul, when he was talking about the these different things that are, for back, lack of a better word, uh, the gray areas of Christianity, and there are those areas, and we'll get to those uh, as we go through Scripture. In, in Paul's day, it was uh, eating meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, most of the meat you would get in the market in those days was something that was already sacrificed to a foreign god a pagan god. And then to find meat to eat, you would, you would buy that and they would sell that meat that had already been sacrificed to an idol and you would go there as a Christian to buy that. That was a problem for the early church, for the new believers, because there were some that just came out of that pagan religion and then they saw people eating the meat sacrificed to that god. And it created this tension. Is that okay to eat or isn't it? Paul would say it is okay if you recognize that that God is no God and you did not participate in the worship of that God. But the meat is being offered and you will take it with thanksgiving. But, he said, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I wouldn't leave my own free choice out there to cause somebody else to stumble. It's the same thing that Jesus is talking about here. To be able to keep the road for new believers free from anything that they might trip and stumble over. 
So he, he kind of addresses this broad audience. Whoever. Whoever does that. For us, he gets a little bit more specific. He then speaks to the people that are there, not just as a general group, but he says, if you, and he's talking about in our own lives, uh, getting rid of those temptations. Don't, don't cause somebody else to stumble, but for you, make sure you get rid of those things in your life. He talks about uh, your hand, your foot, your eye. Think of it uh, not as um, limited to those. Often, often we're given descriptions of things that are meant to be kind of a, an inclusive package. Uh, not an exhaustive one, but an inclusive one. Your hand, your foot, your eye, what you do, where you go, what you see, the activities that you take up, the places that you go, uh, what you choose to look at, what you choose to watch, those things would would make up the the vast majority of someone's life, the things you do, the places you go, and, and what you see regularly. Make sure that you take the distractions in those areas out of your way. Make sure that you get rid of that temptation. When Moses was relating the law back in the book of Deuteronomy, he said this, uh, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine. This is Deuteronomy 11. Verse 18, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlet between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking to them when you are sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land the Lord your God swore to give to your fathers as long as as the heavens are above the earth. You notice what he included in that? Um, bind them on a, as a sign on your hand. Put them as frontlets between your eyes. And teach them to your children as you walk along the way. Put them on the doorposts where they're visible for you to see. It's important for us to remember that what we do and where we go and what we see on a regular basis is critical to the health and well-being of our, of our Christian walk. To allow for those things to exist in that space uh, would be a temptation for us. When, when the people of Israel would continue to go into foreign, the, the land of Canaan to encounter all the foreigners there, God would instruct them to remove those people from the land. And sometimes um, in a way that they were nearly completely annihilated. So that they and all that they do and all that they worship would not be a stumbling block to the people of Israel. Not because God didn't like this group of people or that group of people. It's not because He had a, had a distaste for a, a specific uh, ethnicity of, of people, it's because those people have chosen to disregard the things of God 
And if you leave those things and those people in your midst, they will be a stumbling block for you. And so God had ordered his people to remove those things. Even when uh, sin was discovered in the people uh, of Israel in the Old Testament, and it would come up again in the New Testament in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, when, when evil continued to exist unchecked, God would say, purge the evil from among you. Get rid of those things that would cause you to be tempted and to fall away as well. Imagine uh, losing a hand or a foot or an eye. Again, you, you may know some people, and there are uh, members here that uh, have lost either an eye or the use of an eye. And how, how critical any one of those things is for daily life. Life is completely altered uh, when you only have one hand to use or one foot to to walk on, or one eye to see with. It, it forever changes the course of your existence, but that's still not as bad, Jesus is saying. For you to go through life this way, with those limitations, it would be better to go through life that way than to safely make it all the way through life with, with all of your digits and extremities and eyes and everything but then to finish your race only to find out that you've been condemned because you didn't trust in the one true God. What, what would we be willing to do so that we would not jeopardize our entrance into the kingdom? Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Very familiar passage. Uh, Therefore, it says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, we understand setting aside sin, and that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here, but the writer of Hebrews brings it to this place where anything, and that goes back to what Paul was saying, anything that might make you stumble or maybe make somebody else stumble, set it aside. It's not worth it. It isn't worth keeping things around us that might cause us to go astray now or eventually be swayed by it. Jesus says those that persevere all the way through to the end will be saved. At some point, there is this place where uh, followers of Jesus uh, may get to the point where the path that they're on, trying to stay righteous before their God, is too difficult. And they choose a life of ease um, in the sense that it's easier to give in to our natural human sinful nature than it is to persist in godliness and righteousness. So the writer of Hebrews says, set aside every weight, whatever it might be. You know, watching TV is not uh, a sin in and of itself, but if it keeps you from uh, persevering in your faith, growing in your faith, 
Maybe it even adds that element of uh, causing you to sin deliberately because of uh, the things you choose to watch or the way it shapes your mind and you begin to accept a theology that comes from uh, a TV program or a movie. Um, There are all kinds of things that you would say they are not sinful in and of themselves. But if it's causing you to be in this place where it's a temptation, a trap, and a snare for you, get rid of it. It's just not worth it. It really is not worth it. But that's so hard. It is so hard to fight against what is so natural for us. And we are great at making excuses. Well, as we used to say to our mothers, everybody does it. But if it's going to cause you, or if it has a great potential to cause you to fall away, get rid of it. Jesus um, is using some very extreme language, and that's what we need to do. We need to be able to be willing to go to extremes um, in, in our walk before our God. The language that Jesus uses here is, is uh, such extreme language. He's, he's using hyperbole. He's, he's greatly over-exaggerating the, the point that he's trying to make so that you don't miss it. Better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea, which would have scared every Jew. The sea was this uh, deep abyss, the unknown, and it was something that many of them feared. And then to be tied to a millstone and thrown down to the bottom where there is no escape from that. Jesus is using this extreme language. If you cause somebody to sin, it would be better if that happened to you. Or if your hand or your foot or your eye causes you to sin, cut it off and gouge it out. I had a conversation once with somebody that said, do you think he was serious? Maybe you have an issue in your life and your hand continues to cause you to sin or where your feet lead you, it causes you to sin. Would it truly be better for you to cut those off? Jesus is not suggesting that. Jesus is is giving us the uh, extreme language here to make sure that you and I don't miss that because even if you cut off your hand, you still have another You and I would learn to adapt to using another hand to sin or our feet to bring us to places uh, that we shouldn't go, eyes to look at something, or we would conceive it in our mind because we've already seen it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would get at the heart of things. It's not not just the the ritual act of what you heard in the law. It's connected to your mind. Even if you have already thought about a woman lustfully, Jesus said you've committed adultery. Even if you're already angry with your brother, you've murdered him. So, if you cut the hand off, the foot off, gouge the eye out, has that stopped anything? It hasn't. But Jesus wants to let us know that's how extreme we should be in our approach to the things that would cause us to to sin and fall away. Listen to what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. So don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, 
but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to, re- to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I show myself to be disqualified. I make sure that I keep my own body in check so that it doesn't cause me to lose the race. Now there will be people that come in last, but there will be people that never make it across the finish line. There will be some that are snatched uh, right at the last moment into eternity, having uh, lost every opportunity to keep growing in their faith, and yet the root of their faith was there. They missed out on all of life's blessings, but just at the last moment they were saved from that because of their faith. And yet, if they or we would just continue to exercise discipline in our lives to show that we are not going to allow any circumstance, anything uh, that is within our control to make us lose our footing, help us to uh, stay on the path, we would continue to do that. Going back to the Psalms and the longer one of the 19s, Psalm 119, the psalmist gives us this good advice. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can, how can someone, so this young man, one that's learning to uh, be right before God, how can a young man keep his, keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you, he says. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Brothers and sisters, we need to make sure that we remove the obstacles, remove the temptations, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, but make sure that you put back in its place uh, the means to keep you on the path. Having a life that you avoid all the temptations could still mean you're still on the wrong path because there would be those that will try to live righteous in their own eyes and say, I've never done those things, and yet they've never trusted in the one who would free them from themselves. So making sure that, going back to Deuteronomy, teach them to your children, keep them in the forefront of your minds. Wherever you go, whatever you do, the Word of God would instruct us. Jesus here brings up the reality of the consequences of our choices. All of our choices are going to be brought to light at some point. And that's a little bit uh, how how the passage ends there. Everyone will be salted with fire. Mark is the only one that uses that phrase and it's been questioned for about as long as it's been written. Maybe the early church knew what it meant because it had very significant meaning in their culture. For us, it kind of escapes us a little bit, but we do know that both salt and fire are purifying agents. 
everyone will go through a time of purification. Everyone's deeds will come to light. Everyone will have to pass through and see how their works come through all of that. Salt would preserve. Fire would consume. Those are a couple of the ways that we can help understand that idea there. He brings up hell. In Mark's Gospel, the the first real instance that Jesus brings up hell. It It is a reality. We would just assume it not be. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. And for, for Christians that have loved ones that are not, we really don't like to think about hell. That's why Jesus brings it up, so that we don't forget how serious it is and so that we, by our actions, don't create a way for people to miss being on the right path and to fall away and go into a place where you would think the fire would consume, but the worm never dies. And the fire never goes out. Jesus lets us know in this introductory way of the idea of our our sins and how grievous they are and the consequences of them. He doesn't make excuses for it. He, he, He says, it's either the kingdom of God that you're entering into by remaining faithful to the one who saved you and living your life in such a way that We remove the obstacles, we get rid of the temptations, and we use extreme measures to to keep ourselves pure and on the path so that we end up in the kingdom. Because the only other choice is to end up in that place of torment. And Jesus is saying this to people that would be listening to him for instructions. He's not beating the the, the sinners over the head with this, trying to say, repent now. That's part of Jesus' message. But he's talking to people that would naturally be wanting to follow. These are the ones that gather around Jesus to figure out what he's saying. How can I benefit from this? Where do I find myself in the story? So you and I need to make sure that we look at ourselves first. Have we left something laying around that would cause somebody to stumble? It may be those temptations that we haven't taken care of yet. It could very well be that what we do, where we go, what we see, is a stumbling block for somebody else. So we start with ourselves. We make sure that we we look around at the path and, and think, is there anything here that somebody coming behind me might trip over? Or they might see it as an obstacle in the road and they would change course. So we might, we might look back on our, on our journey and say, what have I left behind? But then we should also, also uh, look ahead and say, what's, what's out in front of me yet? What still follows along with me that every time I get to that place, there's that temptation there? What, what is it that I still see ahead of me that I have to deal with yet? And how, how far would I go to make sure that that no longer exists for me and it doesn't get left behind 
for anybody else either. These types of passages seem to be um, harsh, negative. But you know, if you've ever disciplined your child in a harsh way because they were about to make the biggest mistake of their life, you didn't do that because you hate them. You do it because you love them. That's why Jesus brings this up. He doesn't want you and I to be unaware of the consequences of our sin, the reality of our existence, and the ultimate reality of life after death. He does it because He loves us. He loves the ones that are not even His yet. As He hung on a cross, He said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing yet. These are people that have not chosen to believe yet. So you and I have uh, a privilege an obligation, both of them. The privilege to make sure that we have cleared the path for somebody else and left nothing behind. And we have that obligation too to make sure that uh, where they end up doesn't fall on us. That's the challenge before us today, to live our lives before our God that we have uh, left nothing unattended. And that we can confidently say that we will stay on the path regardless of what might be out there. And the path that lays behind me that somebody else follows in, whether it's our children, our grandchildren, those around us, those that are watching us, working with us. Again, these are not just little little people. These these could be 78-year-old people that are new to the faith and trying to figure out what does the path look like. Making sure we leave that path as level and as clear and open as possible. That's the call for us today. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, on the one hand, we feel a bit uh, maybe condemned isn't the word, but um, we're in this place maybe of of shame or guilt or wonder. And so uh, we recognize that we have that because we have not always lived up to your word. And yet we we recognize too that um, these words are said to us that we might have life, that we would avoid uh, a path that would lead us down our own natural path and away from you. And so even if... uh, we would go through life with difficulty because we choose to stay on a path that honors you, uh, everything will be rewarded. So help us, Father, as we uh, follow our Savior on a path that he left absolutely clear for us. And help us to follow him, uh, that pioneer, that author and perfecter of our faith, Help us run our race well, uh, not just keeping ourselves in mind, but Father, help us to think of those that watch us, those that come behind, those that are under our care. And may we also uh, leave a path for them uh, that is the way we found it, 
an open path, an open invitation, a clear road uh, with the best uh, end to the journey that there ever could be. So give us grace when we do fall. Uh, Pick us back up. Correct us and rebuke us gently. Teach us and lead us back on the right path again. And may we also have that same spirit with those who may even sin against us or that we see stumbling and falling. May your love shown to us extend to those that you've placed in our path. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.